MSW Media. Thanks to MedKline for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. If you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux or both, then MedKline is right for you. Get 20% off and a better night's sleep today at MedKline.com slash cleanup. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, September 28th. We're all busy, heads down, watching the the latest (laughs) hearing. (laughs) But this is Clean Up on Aisle 45, episode 89. And I'm Allison Gill. And with me, as always, from Italia, (laughs) Andrew Torres. Oh, Allison, thanks for having me. Even when I am a uh, continent away, it's uh, I, I can't stay away from you and the listeners. So thank you so much. Well, uh, thanks for, you know, doing the show, even though you're on vacation in Roma, in Italy. <laughs> I mean, it's so beautiful there. No and, such um, thing as a vacation from, uh, you know, holding Donald Trump accountable. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah, and before we get into uh, some great accountability, I mean, we had a pretty good week for justice last week, but yeah. the big thing we're going to talk about is Tish James just dropping the hammer on the entire Trump family, um, minus Mary. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the organization, it's it's pretty incredible um, what she's laid out. And it matches a lot what came out in her filing in January 19th when she was trying to get everybody deposed. And we'll talk about that and some of the parallels and how this could impact the, you know, Trump world, basically, and him, him and his little crotch goblins. But first, <laughs> we have some patrons to thank. I'd like to start with Edward Carl, jo- Joanna H., Travis Harder, Steve Konefsky, Ben, just Ben, Ola Nystrom, Blake Warner, Stephen Beveridge, Tobinite, I like it, Kat Pilamir, uh, Karen Harris, and Michelle Chandler. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Yeah, and a big thank you to Benjamin Ficker, Margaret Shippen, Matt Harris, Judy Strollo, Melissa Cox, Evan Johns, the Bumblebee Caretaker, <laughs> Sharon Olson, Mike D, not that Mike D, yeah, that Mike D. And I I just have to say, if the Beastie Boys are patrons, then you know, we 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 got it all going on. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Adam J. Styles, Michael Terrell, and Galley. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. If you want to support the show, make this all possible, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E, 4-5-P-O-D. It's a buck an episode, uh, or, you know, I mean, if you want to give more, you can, but that's all it takes to to help us 
um, you know, produce and do everything and get this show out to you. And we really appreciate you. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, this this uh, kicks off our first our segment, our our, our main segment of the, what the show is going to be this week, and it's entitled "Tish James is a Beast." I, in, indeed, she is. So, so look, um, this is an area. So, uh, New York Attorney General Letitia James has uh, finally filed the verified complaint against. Uh, Donald Trump, his no-talent ass-clown kids, his organization, everyone that's ever been associated with him in any way whatsoever. Uh, This dropped on September 21st. And so I have to confess something to you, Allison. Like, I have been, I don't want to say lukewarm on the potential for this file. We knew that this was coming. We have seen the documents. You and I have talked about, you know, Seven Springs Golf Course and, uh, you know, all all of the Trump, the, the very obvious Trump fraud that was sort of front and center. And on the one hand, it's really easy to kind of get caught up in, yeah, you know, but he stole an awful lot more as president and hmm. he's not going to jail over this. So, you know, so it can feel like, it's less of a big deal. Um, I don't think that's right. I mean, I think that this is a a, a big, big deal for the reasons that we're going to get into. Yeah, and, let, and let's be fair. Even if he is indicted, which I think he will be, particularly in the documents case, perhaps in the fraudulent elector scheme, definitely down in Georgia. But, you know, even if he is indicted federally, it won't be an extremely long prison sentence because he, believe it or not, doesn't have a rap sheet. Um, so the, you know, the, the sentencing guidelines will be on the low end. Um, and you know, even if he does get convicted and gets four or seven years or nine years in, in prison, I don't think he's actually going to go to prison. Um, you know, there's secret service sort of, uh, considerations. He probably just end up on house arrest with a, some ankle jewelry, uh, honestly, I, I, that's what I truly think. Um, I think it's necessary to indict him to to you know, uphold the rule of law <laughs> and accountability and deter future despots from doing the same thing. But to me, the end of Donald Trump's empire is this lawsuit. It, and it will do, I think, the most damage to him personally. Now, for our country and rule of law, yes, indictments. That's important. That is what justice is. But this is going, I think, could just absolutely shutter his business, uh, wreck his, if not just his future. He's an old dude. He probably doesn't give a fuck. But his kids <laughs> won't be able uh, to operate a business in New York for five years or I think in Florida. I mean, the, let's go over what her prayer for relief is in this lawsuit. Yeah, let's, let's do that. I want to add uh, one comment to what you've said, which is that um, in addition to filing this, again, this is a civil complaint to claw back the money that Donald Trump and his no-talent family and cronies and friends have defrauded the state of New York out of over the years, right? Um, but but Tish James has also referred this to the IRS, right? And there is, on the face of it, sort of obvious tax fraud, the kind of tax fraud that carries criminal penalties. And you are correct, right? doesn't carry 100,000 years in prison, that, that sort of thing. Uh, but but we are talking about you know sort of the real potential criminal liability for a case uh, that uh, that Attorney General James has really gift wrapped and left on the IRS's doorstop. So 
Um, what does this complaint request in terms of relief? It's pretty extensive. So this begins on page 18. A, canceling any certificate filed under Section 130 of the New York General Business Law for the corporate entities named as defendants and any other entity controlled by or beneficially owned by Donald J. Trump, which participated in or benefited from the foregoing fraudulent scheme. That is dissolving all of his businesses. That's point one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and what a way to start. (laughs) and you know like you said there's there's 10 more points after this i think yep um i think she leaves out an h or something but um that right there shuttering his businesses yep uh point b appointing an independent monitor to oversee compliance financial reporting valuations at the trump organization for a period of no less than five years so uh that that is not quite receivership uh in which Somebody has the full authority to run the business. Uh, but it does say, yeah, we're going to get Alan Weisselberg and his you-tell-me-what-the-numbers-are boss uh, out at the Trump org and a real person in there to figure out what the real books really say, which is crucial when we get down to the civil penalties that are sought to make sure in terms of restitution uh, that um, you know somebody like an Alan Weisselberg is not monkeying around with the books kind of post-judgment saying, uh, hey, we, um, you know, and moving massive sums around so as to evade the effect of that judgment. Um, that's the B point. The C point, replacing the current trustees of the Donald J. Trump Revocable Trust with new independent trustees. That is the equivalent of a receivership, right? That says, hey, your cronies yeah. don't get to make the decisions anymore. We're going to, it goes on, require similar independent governance in any newly formed trust should the revocable trust be revoked and replaced with another trust structure. So, uh, yeah, no, no, uh, you know, takes these back, sees, oh, well, then I'll just dismantle mm. the Donald J. Trump revocable trust and form the you know, make America great again, revocable trust or whatever the hell he's going to call it. Nope. Let me uh, ask a, a legal question. If, and I'm assuming this is sort of what went down with what went down with the Trump foundation, um, because it seems like a similar prayer for relief, but if they shutter and revoke the one thirties for all of his businesses, what are they putting trustees in charge of? So they would then put the trustees in charge of managing the assets that are owned by those institutions. And again, uh, you know, (laughs) skip ahead to the punchline, which is uh, point I, which is disgorgement of all financial benefits obtained from the fraudulent scheme that we're going to describe from lenders and insurers through repeated and persistent fraud in an amount to be determined at trial, but estimated to be $250 million plus prejudgment interest, right? And that prejudgment interest means interest running from the date that the complaint was filed, right? So in other words, uh, you know, this is going to take some time uh, to to get to a verdict, and the clock starts running right now. And, uh, you know, this is entirely independent of any IRS penalties that are assessed. So at the end of the day, right, um, probably that trust uh, would wind up being adjudicated in bankruptcy, right? Like that you're clearly going to have a situation where the liabilities passed through greatly exceed, you know, any, any possible revenues to be derived from the principal. So 
Uh, so that's what's going to happen. Now, he owes like $900 million. Um, <laughs> it's a house of cards. I mean, it really is. So what, I mean, <laughs> well, first of all, I'm, I'm surprised that the lenders haven't come knocking already to, to you know, cash in their, their loans uh, ahead of time with the Weisselberg and the Trump Organization indictments from the Manhattan DA's office. Uh, but they haven't, as far as I know. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Um, <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of a couple of things uh, going on here, right? I mean, the first is um, Deutsche Bank, uh, you know, is really heavily invested in Trump, right? And so, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the, uh, the aphorism, right, that, that uh, once attributed to uh, uh, John D. Rockefeller, and, and I don't know if anyone ever said it, but the, uh, you know, if you owe the bank $100, that's your problem. If you owe the bank $100 million, that's their problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's right, right? Like, it, it, uh, Deutsche Bank has done... Uh, you know, a decade-plus worth of shady deals with Donald Trump. Um, Some of them, we we should be clear, right? Uh, Part of this fraud complaint is uh, averse that Deutsche Bank would not have entered into the lending agreements it entered into without the fraudulent valuations that vastly overestimated the value of the collateral that they were getting. Um, that certainly is, uh, I think, uh, highly plausible. Um, I, I, you know, I think there are <laughs> there are other inferences that one might draw from the long-standing history between uh, Trump and and DB. So, um, so I agree with you. I would think a bunch of arm's length lenders would probably have uh, uh, moved to foreclose, or at least you know, moved to accelerate by now. Right? Like, I mean, it just feels like. Uh, there's a ton of debt out there that is, uh, you know, either in a technical default or about to default. Um, you now, know. I think I think my favorite um, thing here is, you know, you can't. For, well, first of all, like some of the things are, you the Trump Organization and Trump can't uh, go into any real estate acquisitions for five years. Number A was a, a period of five years too, wasn't it? Yes. But number G, letter G, permanently bars. Donald, Don Jr., Ivanka, and Eric from serving as an <laughs> officer or director in any New York corporation or similar business entity registered and or licensed in New York State. That's big. I, I, I love that. Look, this is a recognition and uh, a request for relief that, uh, you know, has its eyes wide open that says, look, this is a family of grifters and con artists. And if we just can find relief to the named parties, which by the way, are extensive, right? Uh, that, you know, they'll go off and they'll form another business and they'll do this all over again. So yeah, um, that, that, uh, G permanently bars Trump, Donald Jr., Ivanka, and Eric Trump from serving as an officer or director in any New York corporation or similar business entity. Um, uh, Similarly, permanently barring Alan Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney from serving as uh, CFOs or similar roles in uh, any business entity registered or licensed in New York State. Um, And they can work uh, at Skateland, like they can hand out skates. There you go. Oh. Uh, Skateland, I think that that would be appropriate, um, you know, and then take back the used ones, spray the Lysol in there, stick them back up on the shelf. 
I think, you know, you got you to keep a strict inventory of it's those the slow, skates. It's the slow skate, Allison. So, you know. <laughs> Backward skate. Spandau Ballet's True is playing. Ladies' okay. Choice. Backward <laughs> there skate. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, that is a uh, kind of an overview of what uh, Tish James is is seeking. Um, the, the grounds upon which she is seeking this relief uh, comes from New York Executive Law Section 6312, which allows the Attorney General to bring a proceeding whenever any person shall engage in repeated fraudulent or illegal acts or otherwise demonstrate persistent fraud or illegality in the carrying on, conducting, or transaction of business. Okay, So what, what counts as fraudulent conduct, those are acts that have the capacity or tendency to deceive or create an atmosphere conducive to fraud. Uh, and, you know, that's this is coming from case law. That's not clear enough. Uh, the terms fraud and fraudulent are given a wide meaning so as to embrace all deceitful practices contrary to the plain rules of common honesty, including all acts, even though not originating any actual evil design, <laughs> I love that, evil. <laughs> uh, to perpetrate fraud or injury upon others, which do tend to deceive or mislead. So let's kind of put all of that together. The scheme here is that when talking to lenders, Donald Trump would grossly overstate the value of his properties, uh, which which form uh, the overwhelming majority of his assets and thus personal net worth. Um, so when it came time to prepare personal financial statements or get a loan, uh, he would uh, and, and some of these are grotesquely overvalue uh, his uh, real estate holdings and and the like. And then when it came time to pay taxes, we would under, underwrite them. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, and we've heard the stories about this, like saying his eleven thousand square foot apartment was thirty thousand square feet, <laughs> selling for three hundred and ninety two million dollars, and no apartment ever in the history of New York City has ever sold for that much, let alone in Trump Tower. Um, they talk about. Uh, they talk about Mar-a-Lago, uh, home of the famous classified document basement, um, being, they say, like be like 500% increase of value. And what I thought was interesting uh, was that a, a good old Billy Barr went on, I think, Fox <laughs> and was like, you should leave the children out of it. Leave the children out of it. They're like in their 40s, um, which was weird. But also, I, I've noticed a lot of people on mainstream media saying, yeah, what did the kids even have to do with it? Are they just dragged into it because they were officers at the, at the you know, at, at, uh, at the Trump organization? But we remember from Tish James's January filing that Eric Trump was actually on the phone making these calls, overvaluing properties, lying to, you know, assessors. Uh, Ivanka was accepting consulting fees while also being an employee of the Trump organization. Like there, there are specific frauds that these quote unquote kids leave the kids out of it yeah. ha have perpetrated as part of the scheme. And it, I, I just feel like people didn't read it or didn't hear about it. He didn't think about what happened in the January, the filing that she made to try to get the depositions done. Um, it, it's just, uh, it's bonkers to me that that anyone would be like, leave the children alone. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Bill, Bill, Bill Barr. But, but yeah, Ivanka is mentioned 38 times in this 222-page uh, verified complaint. Uh, and, you know, you go to paragraph 33 on page 15. It, 
this is the allegation. Again, these are allegations, but they are verified, right? Uh, and by that, that means that uh, the Attorney General has signed off to say that the facts alleged are true to the best of her personal knowledge, right? Um, and, and has signed that under penalty of perjury. Yeah. And they only have to be proven be, uh, beyond a preponderance, right? Uh, more yep. likely than not, actually. Right. Um, That's, it's, a, it's a civil case. Uh, preponderance of the evidence, 50.1 to 49.9. So let's look at paragraph 33. It says, Defendant Ivanka Trump was an executive vice president for development and acquisitions of the Trump org through early January 2017. Among other responsibilities, Ms. Trump negotiated and secured financing for Trump organization properties. While at Trump org, she directed all areas of the company's real estate and hotel management platforms. This included active participation in all aspects of projects including deal evaluation, pre-development planning, financing, design, construction, sales, marketing, involvement in all decisions related to those activities, large and small, among other duties. She negotiated the lease with the government and a loan related to the old post office property. She's just a kid, built dude. Trump she's Tower, just, D.C., yeah. She's just a kid, man. Come on, leave her alone. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Billy Barr. I, uh, I appreciate that. You know, just, just one more, like... Throwing a you know a, a a block to protect uh, to protect Trump here. It's just it's just mm. ridiculous. Um, so uh, yeah, no that the 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 standard uh, as you've mentioned here, right? This is this is a civil case, so you only have to prove it uh, more likely than not. Um, but these allegations are not just throwing in the kids to be mean. They are throwing in the kids because the kids participated materially in the activities that constituted the fraud, and that is getting financing from lending institutions to buy more stuff, right? And, you know, we've talked about some of this before, but but I, I really wanted to, want to talk about, uh, and, and, and I know you want to talk a little bit about Seven Springs as well. In multiple areas, Donald Trump took advantage of something known as a conservation easement. Uh, in order to continue to do exactly what he was previously doing at the property, but at the same time get a, a, a huge chunk of money uh, because he so he had supposedly written off uses uh, of the property. So uh, let's start and yeah, again. He didn't develop it, right? Yeah, and. and- <laughs> Yeah, it, it gets it gets in the weeds uh, pretty pretty heavy, but I mean that was that's the easement that that we're talking about, and and it's it's a, it, it's a credit, it's a tax credit, um, so it's it's a significant amount of of money that he was stealing from from New Yorkers and from the IRS. All right, everybody, we have to take a quick pause, Andrew, because I have to go to a quick break. We have to get a sponsor in, but we will be right back to continue our discussion of this amazing Tish James stuff. So hang on. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG from Clean Up on Aisle 45. I used to have a bunch of shoulder pain at night that made it impossible to sleep because I've been sleeping on my side since I was a little person. I tried everything under the sun and nothing could help me until I discovered MedCline. If you suffer from shoulder pain, you're a side sleeper or nighttime acid reflux and GERD or both, then the MedCline patented pillow system is designed to cushion your body in a sleeping position that is supremely comfortable. It is doctor recommended. It's clinically proven to provide effective natural acid reflux or shoulder pain relief. In fact, 95% of patients reported an overall improvement in sleep quality when using MedCline. 
MedKline Sleep Systems are not simple foam wedges. They are true medical devices, FDA-registered, doctor-recommended, and clinically proven to provide relief. The patented arm pocket allows for comfortable side-sleeping the entire night. It is glorious. You will be enveloped in side-sleeping deliciousness. MedKline Sleep Systems are not simple foam wedges. Like I said, you have to try yours today. It is medical-grade gel-infused foam. It's built to last. It provides cooling comfort. It keeps you cool and an exceptional night's sleep. MedKline products are also covered by FSA and HSA medical expense plans, so you can purchase MedKline using your health savings fund. Customers can set up complimentary appointments with MedKline sleep specialists for personal assistance to help you find the best product to assist in relieving your nighttime pain so you can sleep better. Right now, you can get 20% off when you go to MedKline.com slash cleanup. That's 20% off and a better night's sleep today at MedKline.com slash cleanup. Again, that's MedKline, M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E dot com slash cleanup. So, for example, Trump Golf Club Los Angeles, uh, the 1999 landslide <laughs> pulled their 18th hole into the ocean, right, into the Pacific. Um, and so, you know, they, they rearranged the golf course a little bit. And then Trump took a conservation easement on his taxes, valued at $21 million, uh, in which he agreed not to develop that portion of the land that was now underwater, uh, and, you know, is completely undevelopable because, you know, it's underwater. And uh, went, went to uh, his accountants over at Cushman Wakefield, and they valued that conservation easement of agreeing not to develop property that couldn't possibly be developed at $21 million. Now, again, an easement, the way to think about an easement in terms of property is, you know, if my property borders yours and you want to walk across my property to get to the street, I can grant you an easement, right? That is a limited kind of use that infringes upon my property in a specific but non-exclusive way, right? Like I can still walk across my own property, right? I'm just saying you get to use my property in a very specific way. Here's how you can use this tax credit as a conservation easement in an appropriate manner. I buy a one-acre parcel intending to build a house on that parcel. I buy it for $500,000. I discover after buying the parcel that half of it is a federally protected wetland, right? And that it would uh, threaten the ecology of a particular species. So I voluntarily agree, you know what? I'm not going to build my house on the wetland. I'm going to take the other half, the, the now quarter of an acre, right? And, uh, you know, presumably, right, if it, if it splits down 50-50, it's all one big parcel. Uh, I paid $500,000 for it. I'm going to take a $250,000 tax deduction for a conservation easement that says, hey, I promise I'm not going to build on that land that would then otherwise jeopardize that particular species. So you, you get, that's how you use it properly. <laughs> um, <laughs> the way you use it improperly is, why don't we talk a little bit about, say, the Seven Springs Estate in New York? Yeah, my favorite. Um, and, you know, this has been, Seven Springs has been something I've been talking about for federal reasons for a long time, wondering why the IRS hasn't gone after this. 
Um, and that's, you know, because he has said, well, I'm not going to develop. And if I did develop, it would be worth all these millions of dollars. So I'm going to take that easement. But as part of an easement, you're not supposed to use that property for private reasons. Uh, and he has been. And so that violates the the whole idea uh, of the easement. And he overvalued, severely overvalued, what the development would be worth. Uh, and all of that, all of those numbers are laid out um, in this filing, in this lawsuit. <laughs> so so it's, can I, can it's I, can I put, Can I hang some numbers on it here? Yeah, hang some numbers on it. Yeah, 2,000 appraisal prepared by the Royal Bank of Pennsylvania sent to the Trump Org. Estimated Seven Springs had an as-is market value of $25 million as a parcel for residential development. Okay. Uh, The same bank's records uh, were updated in 2006 uh, that showed an as-is market value of $30 million. Okay, well, that that seems pretty great. Uh, I'd like to own a $30 million property. Um, This is paragraph 236 on page 67, which begins with the rather laconic, In sharp contrast to these bank-appraised market values, the statements of financial condition from 2011 to 2021 (laughs) include far higher valuations of Seven Springs, ranging from $261 million to $291 million. So basically... 10 times what the bank said it was it was going to be worth uh, as a property for uh, residential development of zoning into what they wanted to have as, quote, nine luxurious homes, right? So uh, the bank was like, yeah, okay, nine luxury homes, uh, 30 million bucks. And Trump was like, no, no, no. Like, we are going to find nine MC Hammers who live here because it is nine <laughs> homes, $291 million, right? That is in excess of $30 million per house. Um, I think that sort of speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In stark contrast. Yeah, it's definitely, I love I love the phrasing. The, and there's so much like this in here. And, and that necessarily isn't about uh, defrauding the IRS. That is defrauding banks by lying about the... Um, the value of that property, but within fi- within filing his taxes, he was using the private the pro- the property in an improper way for an easement, and that's how it becomes IRS fraud. And that's you know, I think it's very interesting that that Tish James has made criminal referrals to the Southern District of New York and to the IRS because this to me seems to give a shot in the arm of any. Southern District of New York investigation that was shut down or brought to heel by Bill Barr when he ousted Jeffrey Berman, uh, so on and so forth, or when he closed a lot of these investigations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people were like, well, just reopen them and charge them. It's not that simple when your uh, agency closed those, you know, made prosecutorial discretion, quote unquote, decisions to close those cases to just reopen them again without new evidence. But this perhaps is new evidence that could lead to reopening some of these old cases. And because, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, these crimes went on from 2011 through 2020. Uh, we The statute of limitations has not expired. We know the, the clock doesn't start ticking until you stop criming. And, and this went well into 2020. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, we are skipping over or uh, summarizing just some of the most 
egregious stuff in, you know, in, in light of the fact that probably a lot of our listeners have, have heard of this. But for example, Donald Trump's triplex apartment in downtown Manhattan, uh, in which, you know, he, he hung a nine figure valuation plus uh, by just lying about how large it was. So it was 11,194 square feet. And Donald Trump just told people it was 30 plus thousand square feet. And it, this was, again, just to give you an insight on the person that we elected president in 2016. <laughs> thank you very much. This is paragraph 273 on page 78. In 2015, Trump took journalists from Forbes on a tour of the triplex to persuade them to increase the magazine's $100 million valuation. Now, now, why did he do that? 100% for ego purposes. That's it. Just to say, I'm richer than I am, right? So he's got all these journalists from Forbes. He's wandering through his own apartment, and he represented the size as, quote, 33,000 square feet. So three times as large as it actually was. Describing the tour two years later, Forbes wrote, during the presidential race, Donald Trump left the campaign trail to give Forbes a guided tour of his three-story Trump Tower penthouse, part of his decades-long crusade for a higher spot on our billionaire rankings. Trump begged that people have called his Manhattan Aerie, quote, the best apartment ever built and emphasized its immense size, 33,000 square feet, and value at least $200 million. I own the top three floors. The whole floor times three, end of quote. Uh, <laughs> I just, I, I just want to point out that we have a president who's so small that he had to overestimate the size of his apartment by three, left the campaign trail while running for the office that he ultimately won and occupied to persuade the people at Forbes to rank him higher on their list of the world's wealthiest billionaires. This is not a well clown, okay? This is seriously yeah. deranged individual. And the only positive thing that I take from all of this is uh, this will be a seriously deranged individual who, after a lengthy trial, and all indications are that Trump is desperately trying to settle this matter, and Tish James, uh, unlike, you know, her rather chicken shit associate Alvin Bragg over at the Manhattan DA's office, um, has no interest, right? Like, I, we've got a we got an easy ironclad case, uh, and we will see you in court, and I cannot wait. Yeah, no, it's going to be really fantastic. Um, and I, I was, you know, tweeting like, oh, my God, she secured a deposition. And so did the Manhattan DA from the Forbes editor. And I was like, that's going to be good. Um, now, it made it couple, into the complaint. <laughs> a couple of questions for you. Sure. In the complaint, do they talk about the brand value? Because there was something that she mentioned, Tish James mentioned in her January filing, uh, saying that Trump had told the banks that he wasn't adding brand value, but then increased the value of all of his stuff by 30% and called it brand value. Is there anything about that in this particular filing? Because she brought it up and, and shined a spotlight on it in January. I was wondering if it made it into this final uh, complaint. Yep, it absolutely. In fact, it is given a capital letter brand premium scheme, uh, capital yeah. P, capital P, capital S. 
Uh, it is in there, and it is exactly what you say, which is to say uh, that they take items that have a present market value and then say the Trump name adds 30% to that brand value. So uh, paragraph 574 on page 159, for example, says, uh, in 2011, the banker spoke with Trump and Ivanka about this particular loan. And again, right, this is designed to fraudulently overinflate Trump's net worth in order to secure loans uh, backed by those assets that, uh, that, that are overvalued. The next day, Trump sent the bank a letter copying Ivanka, <laughs> again, uh, asking about Ivanka's role, enclosing his statement of financial condition, which was prepared with no uh, outside help, <laughs> and writing, as per a conversation, I'm pleased to enclose the recently completed financial statement of Donald J. Trump. Hopefully you will be impressed, exclamation point. The letter continued, I am also enclosing a letter that establishes my brand value, which is not included in my net worth statement. Um, and, and so, yeah, routinely uh, what you have is a situation that says um, brand value not to be included, right? If something has a market value and it is uh, collateralizing a loan, right, the fact that that says Trump on it <laughs> Uh, is not something that you can use to increase that value. That is prohibited uh, by GAAP, by generally accepted accounting principles, right? Um, and and in fact, that allegation is contained in the in the complaint, right? Adding a brand premium, despite the fact that including an internally developed intangible brand premiums is prohibited by GAAPs, and the statements expressly claim to exclude brand value. Um, and so uh, there, there are some specific examples. Uh, Trump Golf Club L.A., uh, after some <laughs> oversight and due diligence, uh, was reduced from a 30% brand premium to a 15% brand premium, uh, which is in accordance with the Trump Organization's change in valuation for the other clubs, but contrary to the disclosure in the statement of value that said no brand value was included, uh, and, and that downward shift, right, of uh, going from 30% to 15% was a $56.6 million hit. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you're asking how big was the brand valuation scheme, uh, that, that gives you some idea of, of how many... Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that we're talking about. Yeah, and then he would hide it by listing it as other assets, right? Yeah. So the, the 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 decreases, right? So in in the and here's this is just from the January filing, which which I looked up coincides did the research coincides with this filing. First, as you said, Donald says his apartment was three times bigger than it was. Uh, next, he overstated his liquidity by miscategorizing assets outside his control as cash. And that's also part of the fraud that's mentioned in this suit. He lied about how he reached his valuations. He inflated certain assets by flat percentages that was brand value, which you just went over and didn't tell anyone. Uh, and by the way, we knew a lot about this because of the... the reporting of, of the New York Times and a lot of stuff that came out with Mary Trump and then, of course, this January filing from Tish James. So it, it doesn't feel like breaking news, but there is now considerable and has been documentary evidence of, uh, and corroborating testimony. Uh, and something I didn't know that I found out in January, um, 
Andrew, was that Ivanka was the primary contact for Deutsche Bank. Oh, yeah. And she caused misleading financial statements to be submitted to Deutsche Bank and the federal government. And uh, on page nine of her initial filing, um, it says that she was conducting the probe out of the public eye. But because Donald decided to open his mouth about it, she's now forced to show the court her progress. That's why this whole January filing came out in the first place. Sound familiar? Sound like Mar-a-Lago? <laughs> if you just kept your fucking mouth shut about your special master and whatever, we wouldn't. it wouldn't be all over the news right now. Um, Mar- Mar-a-Lago, subject of yet another conservation easement, right? In which, <laughs> you know, he is a, a, a agreed not to... Uh, you know, to operate his private home as a commercial club, uh, even though it is his private residence, as we well know. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I just felt like I had to inject that there, there is literally no aspect of the Trump enterprise that uh, is not covered by this filing. And, um, yeah. you know, it's no. truly and, wide-ranging. And my, uh, my little analogy about Seven Springs, because Trump <laughs> bought it, in 95 for seven and a half million. Five years later, in 2000, a bank valued it at 25 million, like you said, and then again 30 million uh, in 2006. Uh, in two, and then he said it was worth, he said, it told Mazars it was worth 200 million in 2007 <laughs> and 291 million in 2014. So Donald said if he developed the land, as I said, that's what it would be worth. And that's important because of something called, as we said, the, con- the conservation easement which opens the door for fraud. And you and I talked about this on a previous episode um, almost a year ago. Meaning, for example, I said you could buy Devin Nunez's farm for $65 and (laughs) declare that if you developed it, it would be worth millions. And then you get a chunk back from the IRS for that easement. Overestimating the developed value is tax fraud. And when you do it so blatantly and hugely, and that's what you taught me, Andrew, you said this opens the door for all kinds of fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, according to her January filing and in this filing, the value, they determined the value for Mazars by kind of just a gut feeling. And, and they mentioned that phone call with Eric Trump from 2012. Trump org accountant McConney testified that he and Eric determined the value without taking into account time, materials, sales, et cetera. And, and when asked about... Uh, the conservation easement, Eric Trump invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. And that brings me to my next question for you. Uh, negative inference. Can we can we talk about that? A- absolutely. And, and so here is the best I can give you in terms of the state of the law with respect to pleading the Fifth in a civil proceeding. And that is... Uh, that the law is the only hard and fast rule is that you cannot draw a negative inference from someone's assertion of their Fifth Amendment rights in a criminal proceeding, right? So in other words, if I'm the district attorney and Allison, you know, I've indicted you for X crime and you don't testify, I can't get up in my closing argument and say, well, it's pretty funny that Alison Gill, you know, maintains her innocence but didn't take the stand here, right? Um, it, or explicitly, right? If you take the stand uh, and then take the Fifth Amendment, I, I can't ask the jury to draw an no, adverse inference there. from that. Yeah. yeah, of course. And that's what gives the Fifth Amendment teeth in a criminal prosecution. But 
All of that is bounded by those keywords in a criminal prosecution. Um, the case law is very, very confusing. Uh, and, you know, there, there are, you're walking a minefield when it comes to the question of how can those statements be used against you in a civil proceeding. But the important thing to note is that there is no hard and fast rule that says they can't. In fact, the rule is that they can. And then the question is how to appropriately tailor uh, and sort of cabin off exactly how the parties in a, uh, exactly how the parties in a civil dispute uh, can make reference to one party's assertion of their Fifth Amendment rights against self-incrimination. By the way, this is why uh, when when parties move to stay cases, right, um, judges will grant as a matter of course a stay of a pending civil proceeding pending the outcome of the criminal proceeding, right? Because then you get the criminal proceeding adjudicated and you don't have this problem, right? You don't come up with a scenario where oh, I'm, I'm worried about protecting myself against criminal liability, so I want to assert the fifth, but I'm also worried about uh, the finder of fact, the trier of fact, drawing an adverse inference from the fact that, that I took five. So you that are didn't happen absolutely... Here. No, right, that, that's exactly right. So uh, you are 100% correct. We will see uh, as this case goes forward... Um, <laughs> you know, if you're Eric Trump, you're in a, you're you're caught in between a rock and a hard place, right? Because uh, you have already taken five in your deposition. Um, if you don't do so again at trial, uh, then you know you will have a potentially waived your Fifth Amendment rights and b subjected yourself to impeachment, right? The oh well, when I tried to talk to you before, isn't it true that you invoked your Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination? Um, yeah. so, uh, it, 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 this is going to be, uh, this is going to be a fun trial to watch if you, uh, are not a fan of the former president, uh, and I'm not, so, uh, I, I, I can't wait. Can I just jump through some, and this is, do you ever work with somebody who was a contractor and, uh, you know, you, you always suspect that they were maybe padding their timesheets a little bit? Uh, and and as the time went on, it went from like, hey, didn't seem like Kyle was here for 12 hours on Thursday to, you know, Kyle is at the beach and claiming that he's recording, you know, billing 18 hours a day remotely. Uh, and you're like, man, we haven't seen Kyle in a month and a half. Um, that that's kind of where Donald Trump is here. So, you know, you, you talked about the, uh, the seven Springs property. I was struck by the sheer brazenness of Trump's golf course in Jupiter, Florida. You know, the, the, the Mecca that is Jupiter, Florida, right. Um, mm. in which he bought the Jupiter, Florida golf course in 2012 for $5 million. And then, uh, claimed in 2013 on his statement of net worth that it was worth $62 million. <laughs> I, oh, well, right. It, at some point, you know, a 12 and a half times multiplier is, is just going to cause somebody to be like... Well, that football coach rub and tug in town really brought <laughs> the value of the property up. 
<laughs> oh, I knew you were going to go there, and I love it. <laughs> I um, couldn't help it. Who was it I, again? Who was the coach that was? I, it was FSU, right? I it, I can't remember. Yeah, I don't. I, I I've I've eyeball bleached, but you know, we've talked about the fraudulent memberships, right? Like begging the 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 golf courses had unsold memberships. Uh, but then, you know, Donald Trump was booking potential future revenues a la Enron of, you know, uh, massive uh, six-figure memberships. And fees. millions yeah. of dollars yeah. in, in yeah. future uh, dues, right? Like, just absolutely bonkers. And, and, and again, at a rate, I, I don't play golf, but, you know, Westchester 2011, right? So, look, has he squeezed that money out of, you know, Mar-a-Lago? Sure. But... In Westchester, Donald Trump uh, had 67 unsold, unsold memberships in 2011 uh, that he was valuing at $200,000 a piece, uh, you know, more than a decade ago, even though, uh, quoting from the, uh, from the complaint here, quote, many new members in that year paid no initiation fee at all. In some instances, Trump specifically directed club employees to reduce or eliminate the initiation fees to boost membership numbers, end of quote. So Yeah, to make I, the just, crowd look bigger. He's, he, yeah. That's what he likes to do. Gotta have the largest, the most beautiful crowd ever. Yeah. I mean, you know, Augusta National is like 40 grand. So <laughs> anyway, now how does this impact Alvin Bragg's case? Because he came out and said, hey, my investigation is still open and ongoing. Um we know that Dunn and Pomerantz quit, resigned, at least one of them, out of protest and anger for not, you know, for, I guess, Bragg didn't want to bring charges. Uh, and then Bragg secured the guilty plea from Weisselberg, who had to admit that not only did he violate all these charges, but he also violated IRS and federal charges, which is interesting. Uh, and now he has said, my investigation is still open and ongoing, and Tish James has made these referrals to the IRS and to the feds. Is there something perhaps going on behind the scenes with the feds that we are unaware of that put a hold on Bragg's thing? I mean, I feel like normally the feds sort of concede to to the, the district attorney's investigation and just sort of keep out of it. What What is your sense of this? Do you have any? So my sense... Do you have I, any I, sense? Yeah, <laughs> some, I hope. Um, the IRS investigation would be run out of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York, right? So uh, uh, that, and and I agree with you uh, that a uh, that, that the Manhattan DA, uh, Alvin Bragg, would uh, defer to any IRS investigation. Um, you don't have to sign a plea deal mine with you know that it lacks a cooperation agreement uh in order to to step aside um so i continue to be very very bearish on the weisselberg deal um i think by far i i know others <laughs> have have uh you know uh, andrew weissman uh who's you know a, a better lawyer than i am certainly uh has a ton more criminal experience i i just think he's pollyanna on this right like uh, is thinking that, you know, there's going to be some kind of great triple Xanatos gambit of, you know, and I just don't see it happening, right? I think uh, you ha the most parsimonious explanation is um, you tried to get Weisselberg to uh, cooperate, 
And uh, he, by and through his lawyers, said, no, I'm not testifying against the boss. Uh, and I'm not doing a deal that requires me to testify against the boss. And I think ultimately, uh, you know, once Dunn and Pomerantz were off, uh, that, that Bragg just blinked in that case. I'd love to be wrong. Uh, but um, to, to me, that just looks like a situation where that you're not what what kinds of questions would you ask Alan Weisselberg? If it's tied to a document, his answer is going to be, I admit that is an authentic document. I admit that I signed that. I say the document speaks for itself, right? Um, and if it is, well, do you know, do you recall Donald Trump ever telling you to, you know, falsify statements? He's going to say, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I can't recall. Maybe, and, you yeah. know, maybe he, you know, it was like a brags, like I'm not comfortable bringing this, but we're going to keep the, we're going to keep it open as a case. And then don't sign the plea deal. Right. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But maybe, maybe Tish James was like, look, I'm going to make a criminal referral to the Southern District of New York. And Bragg went, well, then I don't need to do anything. Um, uh, but let me secure Alan Weisselberg saying that he did commit these federal crimes to make the referral to the Southern District of New York have some teeth and, and you know, give, give him a, a reason to reopen all this with quote unquote new evidence because Weisselberg's. Um, guilty plea would be new evidence uh, in in a criminal case in the Southern District of New York for federal uh, tax fraud. So maybe maybe that's it. Maybe I don't know. I wish they would just tell us we're not nine. <laughs> well, we know you know this Department of Justice speaks through its court filings, uh, as we have yes, mentioned on a yes. number of occasions. So uh, yep. it it I do not want to tell you that that is impossible. Uh, because it's not right. Like it, 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 it certainly uh, could be the case. Um, it feels like you know that would be an overly complex way to get there. Uh, right. And like, so, why didn't you just? You can open an investigation, Southern District. Here's yeah. the evidence. Like, here's and, your new evidence. And Brad could but, say, "Oh, uh, rather than take five months, I'm going to go to trial." Right. Like, I, I could pour my brains on the sidewalk and get five years. Uh, you know. Yeah. With, <laughs> So and that's uh, what I don't get. Like, why, I, I, why even give him a deal? He, you had <laughs> right. it, you had him dead to rights, and yeah. and the org. Uh, I don't get it either. We'll see. Uh, we will. Because but. I mean, he will eventually <laughs> either have to close the investigation or charge somebody else. Yep. Um, that, that that's just the way that it goes. Unless he just doesn't want New York to think that he's not doing anything, uh, you know, which is uh, seems like a very feasible. Uh, feasible the way to go, <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Uh, I'm still also incensed at the at the Weisselberg deal um, personally. I, yeah. I I again don't see any reason to give him anything when you have so much evidence against him. It makes he, no sense to me. He he um, has been to to continue the analogy of you know he's not just the guy who knows where the bodies are buried. He has been Trump's chief undertaker for 20 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. He has signed off on each and every one of these fraudulent schemes. Uh, and, well, and uh, now that now that Ivana is yeah. now that Ivana is actually buried on a golf course for tax breaks, right. we can literally use the phrase "He knows where the bodies are buried." Yeah, um, yeah, we can. So I don't want to. I don't want to end on a downer note. Like, go back, start the play this episode on a continuous loop. Uh, because this is a, a monumental and significant 
quarter of a billion dollar complaint against Trump. Uh, it, it, the exhibits are detailed and run for 24 pages. Uh, it is um, a, a very, very good case uh, put together over a long period of time. Uh, it's not sexy, uh, but well, I, you know, I don't know the whole like I, it you is added a zero on the end of it. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> I stay up late at night because of those. But but um, I, it 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 will not in and of itself uh, result in Trump serving jail time. But man, like this is a guy who won't pay a ten thousand dollar bill, right? Like mm-hmm. this is a guy who's cheated every contractor who's ever worked for him since the dawn of time. My uh, mom included. Oh God! <laughs> my, he owes my mom like fourteen thousand dollars for some building stuff he, that they did, he did for him in L.A. Uh, back in the works uh, on contingency. No money down. No. Yeah, um, and and so, I also want yeah. to just you know before we before we go because um, we got to wrap up here in a minute. I also just want to tell everyone this will take a while. The, uh, this these have always taken a long time. It's not like they took 10 minutes before and now because it's Trump, it's going to take a year and a half. This is going to take some time and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, but there, there are provisions in place for defendants to have, you know, to have rights. And so this is going to take, this is going to take time. I just want to, <laughs> just want to let everybody know we aren't going to have a resolution for Christmas. Okay. Yeah, that absolutely. And well said. Thank you, sir. All right. That has been the show for today. And uh, next week, I think it's going to be me and Mo Stringer. Is that correct? Yeah, it Cause is. Because you're going to be doing some traveling. So I'm very excited <laughs> to speak with uh, to speak with Mo, um, the the inimitable and just absolutely fantastic Mo Stringer uh, next week on Clean Up on All 45. Uh, as always, check out Opening Arguments. Check out The Daily Beans. We are always reporting on the news there. Andrew, it's been another wonderful show. Thank you so much for dialing in from Italy to do this. It's after <laughs> it's like after one in the morning there. You're you're uh you're you're doing the work and I appreciate it. Nor wind it. nor rain nor sleet nor snow. No, I, I I love doing the show. I love our listeners. Uh and I love uh getting to uh talk Trump with you for an hour, particularly when we get to bring such good news to the listeners. So uh thank thank you, Allison. Absolutely. Everybody, we will see you next week on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.